We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, are, have any of you started your summer planning for vacations? Okay. Lee's like, you've been planning yours for like two or three years, I think. You, yeah, yeah. Okay. So have, have, have your minds started wrapping around summer vacations a little bit, right? Um, and some of you are thinking like, I, was, I wasn't, and now, you're, now I'm thinking about it, right? So... Uh, I, I saw a couple reports this past week that they are anticipating that, that travel this summer is going to kind of reach a new record, um, and that's after the pandemic dip. So not only have we recovered, they're saying, the, the travel industry, not only has it recovered, but we're going to kind of hit new, new highs this coming summer. And my guess is a lot of us are maybe going to be a part of that. So maybe on airplanes, maybe you're going to go, maybe you're going to drive, right? Uh, um, um, but maybe you're planning summer vacation. If you are, I've got a suggestion for you. How many of you like cruises? I know, some of you do. And those of you that like cruises are weird. <laughs> I, only, I only say that because, I, because Pastor Tim's um, inner ear and motion sensitivity does not like cruises so much. So have at it. You can take all the cruises in the world that you want. I don't want anything to do with them. My motion sickness doesn't allow me to do it. But, but um, yeah, the thought of a, a cruise sounds kind of dreamy, doesn't it? Right? It sounds kind of wonderful. Um, there is a cruise. This is Princess uh, Cruise Lines. Um, they are advertising a cruise that is, is being billed as the most legendary cruise that our world has ever seen, okay? The biggest, best, most awesome cruise that our world has ever seen. Are, are you thinking like maybe you're going to sign up at this point? Okay, let me give you the details though, okay? So if you are going to take Princess Cruise Line up on their cruise and they are booking now, these are the details of the cruise, Okay. Oh yeah, I know. You're like, what? Okay. Okay. Right? This is, this is um, what, what they are saying is the longest uh, um, single cruise or, or ocean trip that anyone's ever attempted in the world. So uh, it will cover 116 days. You will be at sea. Okay. 116 days. 33,500 miles. 51 destinations. 26 countries. Six continents, and it will only set you back $20,539, okay? Now, some of you that are like math mathematically inclined, like statisticians, as soon as you saw $20,539 and you saw 116 days, your mind started doing the math, didn't it? You started thinking, okay, maybe that's not so expensive, actually, because I get room and board, I get travel, I get all these things, right, for... That, that amount of, of money, right? Okay. That is an incredible cruise. So would you do it? Okay, some are saying yes. Okay, so what are some of the reasons that might hold you back from a cruise of that size? You want to you wanna, you wanna be brave and say it? Okay, Ryan's, Ryan's saying money. Okay, right? Yep. Legitimate, right? Money, can't do it. What was that? Pets, yes, yes. Pets, yes, and they don't offer any 
if you went on the cruise, then you're going to be like looking around at all of us like, hey, can anyone take my dog for 116 days, right? So yeah, yeah. Pets, that's a great one. What else? People? Yeah. Oh, because, oh, I got it. Because there's two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, that that particular Princess Cruise Line, I think it was like uh, 2,200 people on an enclosed boat for 116 days, right? Yeah, I didn't need to say it like that. And then those of you that are extroverts are like, yes, like that's perfect, like, right? Um, those, those of us that want a little bit of space, that might feel a little bit cramped. Okay, so we say we had finances, we had pets, we had people, others? Jobs, Jobs. someone said children, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, jobs, if I'm thinking jobs, not specifically on the cost, then um, how many of you have 116 straight days of vacation lined up? Yeah, yeah, that's way too long, right? I just can't, I can't do that. Um, Yeah, children, right? Maybe you don't want to be away from, well, you could bring, you can bring children with and grandchildren and great-grandchildren if you have them. Now it's, now your price tag has also gone up though, by the way. So that's the joys of being a a grandpa and grandma or great-grandparent, right? So. Yeah. Okay. So, an incredible cruise, but there are reasons why maybe we would say, we don't, I don't want to sign up for that, right? Some of you, are, maybe I, you dream of that. Say, in retirement, this doesn't sound too bad, right? Um, um, but I think it's probably a good example of, of when we think about um, even our living, right, and this journey that we're on as human beings, what, how does God equip us for our travel, which is far longer, in some ways more dangerous, more expensive um, than, than something like this. And today, that's what we want to look at. So how does God equip us for our journey, for our living, until we get to eternity, until we get to that destination, right? Um, so I don't know if you're going to sign up for that or not, uh, but if anyone signs up for the Princess Cruise Line, uh, just make sure to mention my name. No, I'm just kidding. No, I don't get any. No, I'm just teasing. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, um, but that's what we want to look at today. So we want to talk about our theme is simply going to be roadworthy. So um, as these disciples or followers of Jesus are leaving the city of Jerusalem after Easter Sunday, um, lots of things were going through their head. Um, Jesus comes to them and equips them and he's going to equip us as well for how do we view our, our travel, our destination and, and where we're headed. So our theme is simply that, roadworthy. How does Christ make us roadworthy coming out of Easter? Um, and then our, our, our kind of three parts of our sermon today, um, we want to look at the details of this trip that we're going to go on. Um, we want to talk about our hopes for it. So what are our expectations for our trip? Um, and then lastly, that who are we doing it with, Right. Who are, we, who are we traveling with? So those will kind of be the three areas that we look at as we, as we walk through our text. So uh, you're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. You can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen in front of you here as well. And I'm going to begin by reading verses 13 through 18 this morning. So begins here. Uh, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, 
Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So here, here's kind of how we started out. Um, um, now, remember the setting of what's taken place. So um, Easter has happened, right? Jesus' death and his resurrection. In fact, um, these, these disciples, these followers going to Emmaus give like uh, just a beautiful summary of exactly what happened on Easter, including right, the, the reality that there were women who went to the tomb and, and had seen Jesus alive and that the disciples had gone to the tomb and the tomb was empty. So uh, on some level, these, these travelers had, at least intellectually, had all the facts in their head. In fact, they, they regurgitated it, right? They, 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 they spoke it back to Jesus before they knew exactly what was, what was going on there. And, and that's interesting for us because I think in this sense, um, we've got to understand the, Jesus' death and resurrection and the detailed accounts we have of it and what kind of flow from it matter. Now, let's back up even a little bit more. Um, our gospel text today is written by the gospel writer Luke. And Luke includes details for our purposes and for the purposes of those who are following. Now, when I clicked through that scripture reading, you noticed a couple things, right? So Luke says they were going to a town called Emmaus, and he even gives us like the destination. Now, keep in mind, they didn't have like Google Maps or they can just punch it in and say, take me to Emmaus, right? So Luke says to them and to us and for generations of Christians, um, they're going, they were going to a specific town called Emmaus. It was seven miles away from Jerusalem. So he gives remarkably specific uh, um, information there. Then he follows it up and he uses the name Cleopas, right? Now, this and, and maybe all the details that are shared in even this kind of microcosm of a text from Luke, none of that is by accident. Now, why would Luke be sharing incredibly detailed information about what happened on Easter, what happened afterwards, uh, where these guys were traveling to, what city they were traveling to, even the destination? Um, Let me back up a little bit. Sometimes when someone says, hey, come on over to my house, um, you say, okay, yeah, I'll be there about 7 p.m. And then if you're of a certain generation, um, do you have family or friends that then try to tell you how to get to their house? Okay, so some of you are like, yeah, that sounds really kind. But for most of us that grew up with Google on our phones and things like that, what, what do you really just need? The address. the address. Yeah, the address. So like someone will be telling, okay, so now you take a right at the old oak tree and then you're going to take a left, but not your first left, it'll be your second left, right past the little, the, the little swale in the field, but not the hill, it's the swale, and, right? So but at the end, you're like, okay, no, I don't need that. I can just punch it in and it will take me exactly there, right? Um, but Luke actually says, here's the exact city, here's the distance, right? So in some sense, he's giving even more details about what's happening. Now, um, this isn't the only time that Luke does that. In fact, Luke is not only the writer of the Gospel of Luke, but also the writer of the book of Acts. Um, and some will say that uh, Luke, Gospel of Luke and Acts was meant to be one unified piece. And so um, the Gospel writer Luke, throughout both of those books, goes to, to great lengths to say, here are the details of what has happened. Here are the people that you can go talk to, Right? And so these followers were on their way to Emmaus. You can go there to Emmaus. There, there are those that are there. There's a man there named Cleopas. You can go talk to Cleopas. 
Right? You can verify these things. You can go talk to the women that were at the tomb. They're still alive. You can talk to the disciples and ask them what they actually saw. So over and over again in the books of Luke, he gives us remarkably detailed accounts of who Jesus was, what he did, and all of the events that were happening. Now, um, why was he doing that? Because he knew the detailed accounts. Because he talked to eyewitnesses. If you're writing a short story for school or something like that, it it takes great pains to try to write in a way that is detailed. Because because fiction, you're making up. And so you really have to try to make it specific. But not if you're a witness. Not if you were there. (laughs) You can simply say, these are the things that happened, and you can verify and talk to people, right? So the very first thing that we want to think about when we talk about our journey to Eternity, and maybe when you talk about any of your journeys, is we want to know the details ahead of time, right? Where are we headed? How are we going to get there? What are the directions? What will we maybe even find along the way? Um, each and every one of us plan out our vacations, right? On some level, Luke was doing that for you and I, saying, here are the details. Here are the plans. Here are the touch points that you can grab a hold of to understand that this this is not made up, this is fact, this is real, and you can verify it, okay? So that's the very first point that, that we kind of look at, right? Um, Luke is it remarkably detailed in this journey that we are on, okay? But then he moves on, he talks about their hopes. So uh, verse 21 says this, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And so Um, If Luke starts out and gives us all kinds of details of what was happening, he kind of gets to the heart of the matter in this kind of half verse. Because uh, travel isn't just about knowing the details, right? You can do, there are maybe places you have done lots and lots of research on, but have never gone to. And those are two different things, aren't they? There are places that you hope, that you pray someday that you're going to be able to go to. And maybe you know everything about it and you can visualize it and you know what has happened there and, and you know all those things, but, but that's not the same as actually traveling there, is it? Those are two different things. Luke gives us those details and says, here's who Jesus was, what he did, when, how. But ultimately, what Christ wants to get to and get to for us is the heart of the matter, which this little half verse kind of gives us insight into. Right? So it wasn't just the details of who Jesus was or what he had done or even the Old Testament, any of those things. These followers had those things in their heads. But this verse gives us the heart of the matter. They had hopes. They had dreams. They had wants. And they had desires, right? So they said, this is not what we had hoped for. This is not what we wanted. This is not what we had worked towards. And I think you can maybe understand their downcast faces, I think is how our scripture puts it, right? They, they, they were depressed. They were broken. They were saddened, right? Um, because the things that they had hoped for didn't come to fruition. But I think we can empathize with that, right? The dreams that we have, and let me say it this way, um, um, all of us make plans and all of us have hopes and dreams, and everything goes along pretty well as long as God is tuning in to my exact hopes and dreams and plans, right? 
We have a picture of what our life should look like. We have a picture of, of what um, our relationship with our spouse should be like. We have a picture of what our kids will be like or our grandkids, right? We, have the, we paint these pictures for ourselves and, and, and they're exactly what we want. And as long as it seems as though God is buying into it or, or kind of uh, listening to us, then we're happy to walk with him, right? But herein lies the issue. And for those followers on the way to Emmaus, what happens when those ideals aren't met? What happens when hopes are dashed? What happens when plans are changed? What happens when relationships tear apart? What happens when your hopes and your dreams do not look like what you wanted them to look? Well, that, therein lies the difficulty, doesn't it? And that's a little bit where these uh, travelers on the road to Emmaus were at. They were broken, they were sad, um, they were depressed, downcast, right? Because what they had hoped was not matching up with what they saw around them. But we have to back up even a little from there, right? Truth is, maybe their hopes were a little misguided. Right? What hopes did they have for Jesus? Truth is, their, their sights were probably set far too low. They had hoped Jesus was going to kick the Romans out of their country. They had hoped for a renewed Jewish state. They had hoped that that the oppression that they felt was going to be gone. They had hoped that they were a part of the winning team. They had hoped that they were followers of Christ who was going to lead them to a glorious future. Maybe it would look like King David and Solomon. Maybe Israel would be returned physically there and all things would be set right and they would, they would return to this, this kind of glory as a nation. These were, these were the hopes that they, they had dug themselves into. And yet, Jesus' death and resurrection and disciples hiding in locked rooms, they were dashed. Problem was, their hopes weren't correct, and actually were far too low, right? Jesus raises their eyes off of themselves and their current circumstances and says, you're looking far too low, (laughs) far too small for why I've come. But I think we can empathize with these followers in that regard too. There are times when we look into the world around us, there are times when we look into our own lives and it's just not what we think it should be. And, I, I, there's, and we have reactions to that. So if things are broken and they don't look exactly how you want, I think we kind of react in three different ways. Um, we're willing to fight. We're willing to, we will flight. <laughs> fight, flight, or the last one, forget it. I needed another F. Fight, flight, or forget it. And I think sometimes you feel that, don't you? Right? Uh, maybe, you, maybe you see the world around you and even within your own relationships in life and you're just ready to rage. You're ready to rage. Ready to do anything you can to hold on to what your hopes and dreams are of, of Christianity, of, of what this nation is supposed to look like or the culture around you. And so you're ready to rage. And so you lash out and you speak words and you confront and you, and you pound and you pound and you pound because it's not, it's not living up to the hopes that you had in your own mind. Maybe you're tempted to rage and to fight. Or maybe you just run away and you're like, forget it. Right? I, I, want, I want nothing to do with it. I don't like confrontation. I don't want to get into this. I'm just going to run the other way. Or, 
Or what sadly maybe is a little more testament to our times is the last one where you just say, forget it. What does it matter? Does any of it matter? Does it make a lick of difference? I think all those temptations were there for those followers. And I think they're there for us as well. But here's the problem. All of those things are misplaced hopes and misplaced answers. Because we're looking for answers to the brokenness within ourselves, within society, or the world around us. Right? Misplaced hopes and a misplaced answer. Here's the real problem, and we can, we can rage, we can fight, we can look at the world around us and say it's all messed up uh, and everything's broken and I, I just wish Jesus would return and set everything right and it would all be changed. But here, here's the real problem. Um, the problem is, we would say in some sense, certainly is out there, but you want to you wanna know, actually know where the problem is? It's in my heart. It's in your heart. It's in each and every one of us. Uh, Ernest Hemingway once said this in the book, Sun Also Rises. You can't get away from yourself by moving from one place to another. Right? You can't get away from yourself by moving from one place to the other. <laughs> because the truth is, we take ourselves with us, and we are sinful, and we are broken, and more often than not, we are part of the problem. Right? I think that is the question and the answer that Jesus came to answer for those followers, those travelers on the way to Emmaus. And here's the beautiful thing. Um, Jesus answers them. Let's look at our next few verses, 25 through 27. It says this. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Okay. Jesus understands that their problem was not physically around them, but it was dashed hopes and dreams and plans and misplaced hopes and misplaced search for answers. And so what does Jesus do? He actually comes to them. And this is not a small point and is remarkably important for us as believers. Um, theologians will sometimes use the term extra nos, which means outside of ourselves. So, so what does Jesus do to their, their misplaced hopes and their desperate search for answers within themselves? The answer comes from the outside in. He doesn't say, you know, you ought, to just, you ought to just kind of meditate on this more. No, Jesus actually physically shows up. Extra nose. So the answer doesn't come from inside of our broken, sinful hearts. It comes from the outside in, specifically in Christ. That's what Easter means. That's what his resurrection means. God looked, looked down at us and said, they are broken, they are fractured, they are struggling, their hopes are off base, their answers are off base, and so I'm going to insert myself into their world and I'm going to live my life perfectly on their behalf. The answers to eternity and forgiveness will never come from inside of us. They always come from the outside in, and specifically in Christ. And so Christ shows up Would you have liked to have Jesus show up on your walk 
to a town? I think it'd be kind of awesome. You ever wonder what he taught them from the Old Testament scriptures, like what his Bible class was? Yeah, you wonder what texts he went to, right? But I don't think any one of us would, I think every one of us would say, I would love, I would love to have Jesus walk with me. That's what he did for these Emmaus disciples. From the outside in, he says, I'm going to show up. He did that for doubting Thomas in the locked room. He did that for the disciples. He did that for the women at the tomb. Jesus comes from the outside and says, here, here's the solution. You can't fix it, but I did. I gave my life on the cross, an unblemished lamb. I let my life um, be taken from me and I triumphantly rose from death so that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are forgiven, that you are loved, and that even if our hopes and our dreams are somewhat off base, that um, those that low-sighted hopes and dreams uh, um, are much greater. And it ends not in this life, but in eternity with me. And so Jesus comes and he says, here. Here's myself. Here's my life. This is yours as a gift. You're washed clean. You are made a child of God. You are a part of my family. Not because uh, everything looks hunky-dory in your life and your relationships or the world in which you live, but because of me. Because I washed you clean. That's the tangible, real joy Jesus brought to those disciples. And he does the same for you and I. He does that through the words of Scripture. He does that in communion. He does that in holy baptism. Extra nos. God comes to us. He comes to you and says, you are loved, you are forgiven, and your destination is nothing short of eternity in heaven. That's the gospel. We call that good news. And it absolutely is good news. Jesus did it on your behalf, right? He brought that good news to those travelers. Now, what impact does that have? We get a little bit of their impact as well. Last couple verses here. Uh, verses 33 and 34. This is their reaction. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now I highlighted a couple things and I want to start with the bottom one first and go back to the top. Um, they, they, they got it, Right? We know they got it because look at their words. It is true, the Lord has risen. It is true, everything that he said. It is true, everything the Old Testament said. It is true that he lives, and because he lives, we will live too. And so they take that good news, that gospel truth, and they go to the people that they love, to the people that they are, are walking through this earthly journey with, right? Incredible amounts of joy and reality in Christ and they almost instantly say, we got to do it together with somebody else. Right? We're not keeping this quiet. We're going to do this together. We're going to take this journey together with people we love. This, um, it kind of characterizes almost my entire life as a young man. On the left-hand side is my little brother, Marky. He's the youngest, so I can call him Marky. On the right, that's me. And I estimate this is probably about 1984, mostly just from the sweet 1984 styles you're looking at, right? Okay. Uh, in the middle is my mom, which is an apology because she's probably watching online right now. Mom, I'm sorry. We didn't have, you don't, you don't have live photos on phone 
because her eyes are halfway shut. She doesn't normally look like that, but um, this was developed film, right? Um, but if you look closely enough, you'll see the uh, um, license plate on this pickup truck is a Colorado license plate. So um, this was right after we had moved from Alaska to Grand Junction on the Western Slope. Um, this is probably characterizing my entire life, is packing things in pickups and driving and traveling and looking like gypsies, right? And for any of you that have traveled to some degree, you maybe recognize pictures like this, right? But you do that together, don't you? Maybe it's with family, maybe it's with friends. The truth is we get to do that together as a congregation and as brothers and sisters in Christ. Life is really hard. You all know that. But it's not as hard when we do it together. And we know that too, don't we? Right? Especially with Christ who walks with us. Um, so I'd like to say this was a one-off uh, of my life, packing up an old pickup. Um, but this is another picture. This is actually the pickup that you sometimes see me drive. It is a red maroon Chevy pickup. Once again, packed to the gills with things. I have no idea where we were moving to or where we were traveling. Uh, the reason I show you this one is because of the old timer on the left there. That was my dad uh, who finished his destination to eternity about four or five months ago. And here's the point. Um, God comes to us. Christ comes to us extra nos. He comes to us in word and sacrament. He walks with us in our lives. He walks with you in your hearts, not just your minds, but also in your hearts. But here's the beauty is... We get to do that together, right? We get to walk that path together. And there will be joys and there will be sadness, triumphs and brokenness. But the real beauty we have, the real blessing we have is that we know that Christ walks with us. And so, are you roadworthy? Your answer is yes. Because Christ is at your side. Amen.